0: Hey, this is Nate with Purity for Life. People who are sincerely seeking freedom from sexual sin usually have a vague idea that there is something under the surface in their life that needs to be dealt with, like a kind of root sin that lies underneath all of their other sins. And they're right, but they're usually really surprised to find out what that sin is
1: there's a massive thing underneath that really needs to be dealt with and really all the time no matter what situation there is a self-centered prideful person at the core that is causing this person to react and do the things that they're doing.
2: Pride is the perspective of the self so that fallen man our lower nature as some would call it His perspective on life, the way he looks at other people, the way he looks at God, the way he looks at life, is all coming from the perspective of what's in it for me. And so his first primary concern is to protect himself and to exalt himself.
0: In today's show, we're going to bring out a couple of interviews from our archives on the topic of pride. We'll show you how pride relates to a person's struggle with sin, And we'll offer hope that there really is freedom from the root and the fruit. That's what's coming up on Purity for Life. We're glad you're here. Stay with us. A few weeks ago, we released a couple of shows called What Does That Have to Do With My Problem? And I think we hinted at this in some of the answers that we gave that all of the issues that we talked about, whether it was self-righteousness or self-pity or an obsession with being successful, all of these things flow out of the self-life. And so if we want freedom from sexual sin— Then we need to deal with the root issue, which is the self-life. And today's show is kind of along those same lines. We're going to be talking about a key feature of the self-life, which is pride. We're going to start off with an interview that Jim Lewis did with our president, Steve Gallagher. So let's get into it.
3: Pastor Steve Gallagher is the founder and president of Pure Life Ministries, and he's joined us in the studio today. Morning, Pastor Steve. Good to be here with you, Jim. Today we're talking about the subject of pride and how it relates to a man's struggle with sexual sin. Now, in your book, At the Altar of Sexual Idolatry, you have a chapter called Root Causes, The Root Causes of Sexual Sin, and here you expose the core issues behind the sex addict's battle with sin as selfishness and pride. Can you describe the correlation between these two sinful
2: tendencies? Let me start by talking about selfishness for a minute. We all basically know instinctively what a selfish person is like. You know, it's someone who's just all about himself, focused on what he wants, without regard to how it may affect other people. And that would be a selfish person. But I want to dig a little bit deeper with it. and I got to thinking about, okay, how did that word come about, Selfish. And I started thinking about some other words with the suffix ish on the end of it, like amateurish. So we understand that when someone is acting amateurish, it means that they're acting like an amateur or foolish. We understand that it means that they are acting like a fool would act. So then thinking of it like that, what does selfish mean? It means someone who is wrapped up in his own self-life. Okay, now how does pride tie in with the self-life? And I've done some real thinking on this. I'm not sure how exactly perfectly right I am, uh, but I've really tried to think on this subject on a deep level. And uh, the best way I could think of to correlate pride with selfishness or the self-life is to think of it like pride is the perspective of the self. You know, so you have the self-life, which is just another way of describing the carnal nature, our fallen nature. You know, it's who we are as a person, but it's understood in Scripture that who we are as a person is tied up with our fallen nature. So that fallen man— our lower nature, as some would call it, his perspective on life, the way he looks at other people, the way he looks at God, the way he looks at life, is all coming from the perspective of what's in it for me. And so his first primary concern is to protect himself and to exalt himself. And so that's the best way I can think of to correlate pride with the self-life. Well, I think that's a great
3: description of self and pride. So tie it to the sexual addict's struggle with his sexual sin for us.
2: Well, I can get it down to a bare bones, simple formula. The more self, the stronger the self-life, the more that sexual sin, sexual addiction can thrive. Because the stronger the self-life, the more the person is wrapped up in what he wants, and the stronger that drive becomes. But as a contrast, think of a, a totally selfless person, like maybe a, some saint from old, you know, and they are constantly going through life giving themselves away. There is no way that habitual sin is going to find a home in a person like that because they aren't totally wrapped up in self. They are thinking about other people. Would you say, then, that
3: one of the goals of the Pure Life Residential Program is the complete destruction of a man's
2: self-life? Well, I don't know, but I can tell you I've been in this 50 years, and my self-life hasn't been totally destroyed. But the Lord has certainly put a good-sized dent in it. And, you know, for a guy coming into the residential program, he's been living for himself for years. That is just the way it is. You know, I'm not trying to run him down. It's just the reality. If he's been addicted to sex, then he's been living for self. And everyone around him has had to suffer for it. So what we try to do is get him focused in a completely different way, get him focused on on the Lord, show him what a joyful life it is, you know, those of us on staff who have been, have broken out of that rut and the joy that we have as people, as believers. And if the guy in the residential program can get a sight of that and something rise up in his heart, like I want that kind of life. I want that joy filled life where I don't have the need to go running after every kind of sexual Desire and, and, and all that. If he can get a sight of that, he will fight to have that kind of life. And of course, the Lord wants to dismantle our self-life, mm-hmm. but we have to cooperate with him. We, you know it's, it doesn't just happen automatically. it's two of us in that yoke. and the Lord is doing the primary work, but we have to be going along with him. Now in your books, you reveal
3: that there are seven different forms of pride that could coexist inside a man. Uh, You mentioned the haughty spirit, unapproachable pride, self-exalting pride, self-protective pride, to name just a few. How did you come to know or see that there are seven different forms of pride inside a man?
2: Well, that happened in 1990, uh, right when I had first begun the residential program and again, it was I was trying to think on a deeper level, but from a spiritual perspective, what is pride? And, you know, so I started breaking it down, just really looking at my own life, looking at my own inner life and how people affect me and my reactions and so on. So I just kind of came up with those seven things. Um, and, you know, since that time, I've been able to look at it on a deeper level, and that comes out in uh, my new book, I, the Root of Sin Exposed, where I was really able to get at it on a much deeper level. And so those seven things, well, they're still in the book uh, at the altar of sexual idolatry, but I've kind of repackaged it and looked at it in a much deeper way in um, that new book. Well, Pastor
3: Steve, you mentioned what we call the I-book— I, the Root of Sin Exposed, 14 chapters on pride and humility. That's the purpose of the book, to walk a man from sinful and selfish pride into godly humility. Now, what I find fascinating in the book, early on you portray in a rather dramatic way how pride is a sin that caused the fall of Satan, What I want to ask you, though, is this. What are the immediate implications for a man who is struggling with sexual sin?
2: Well, the story of Lucifer is really a fascinating story because here's where pride started, you know, and so I pieced together um, different bits and pieces which are in Scripture. I mean, there are things expressed in Scripture about what happened to Lucifer, Like in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, it's described in there and other places. So you start like a jigsaw puzzle. You start putting out the pieces that you know you have. And then when you have this somewhat fractured picture, then you start tying it all together. And I told the story as best as I could speculate it. What happened to Satan, to Lucifer, how he fell? And how he took others with him. So that was how it all began pride. Human beings are moral beings just like angels are. And the difference is that the angels had a set probationary period. Those who went along with Satan fell and became demons, and those who withstood his temptations and stayed faithful to the Lord. Remained as angels. So, you know, that came and went. And then all these thousands of years since then, they've played out their roles. But with humans, it's different because our entire existence on earth is a probationary period. And so, for a guy who has gotten involved in sexual sin, basically what he has done is he has patterned his choices and his lifestyle after the thinking of demons. And so he has dug himself into a deep spiritual pit, and now he must walk himself out of that pit by changing the way that he does life, changing his behavior. And over time, little by little, he's coming out of that pit, coming into the bright life that the Lord has planned for him. What I hear you saying is that we have followed the
3: enemy into pride and into selfishness, and that has led to sexual sin. And there is a way out. What is that way out?
2: What is the opposite of following the enemy? It's following the Lord. It's doing all that we possibly can to fight for a life in God. And as we do that, it opens the way for the Holy Spirit to Work that wonderful process of sanctification in our inner man. And, you know, little by little we change and we become more godly. (laughs) I want to almost say God ish, (laughs) kind of. You know, we want, we are going to become more full of the Spirit of the Lord rather than full of pride. That was a thoughtful and revealing discussion, and I appreciate you coming
3: in to our studio today.
2: Yeah, it was a blessing, Jim. I enjoy looking at such things.
0: One of the most dangerous aspects of pride is that it is really hard to detect in ourselves. So we can think that we have very little pride when in fact our lives are full of it. And one of the things that you're going to hear in this interview with Mike Johnson and Jeff Colon is that pride goes before a fall, which means that if you're constantly falling into sin, there's a really good chance that your life is full of pride, even if you're not aware of it. So we have to learn to deal with our pride. Otherwise, we're always going to continue to fall.
4: Jeff, as we look across all of the world really, but especially in America, we see a landscape of destroyed lives, people that are destroying themselves, destroying their families, hurting other people. And of course, psychology wants to look at these individuals and come up with all kinds of reasons and excuses and problems. But spiritually, as we look at this landscape of destruction, there is a common thread that runs through all of these lives and that's what we want to talk about today. And that common thread is pride. Uh, what do we know
1: generally about pride? Well, Mike, we have a verse in the Bible, Proverbs sixteen eighteen, that tells us pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You've just talked about all the destruction we're seeing out there, and obviously the Bible here is telling us that pride precedes destruction, and it really is a common thread throughout Scripture and even the different lives that I have seen Ruined by sin. There's always a root issue. And I believe pride really is at the core of the many things the rebellion, the unwillingness to humble themselves and really submit to God and His ways and His word. We've seen throughout the years here at Pure Life Ministry just multitudes who have destroyed their lives and even those around them who are unwilling to humble themselves.
4: Mm. We know that a lot of times the men come into the program here and, of course, they come thinking, well, I've got this little problem with sexual sin. And it's kind of surprising to them, I think, oftentimes, that we don't spend week upon week talking
1: about sexual sin. That is a common theme I share when I'm out there, teaching others about sexual sin, that the men come in, they think we're going to sit around and talk about their sexual sin per se. But really what we tell them is that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's a massive thing underneath that really needs to be dealt with. And really all the time, Mike, no matter what situation, there is a self-centered, prideful person at the core that is causing this person to react and do the things that they're doing. Mm. Well, one of the things we also see in Scripture is that with pride, there is always a
4: consequence. The men coming to us are just manifesting one of those consequences of having a prideful, self-centered
1: life. That's true, Mike, and I guess we can look at three distinct ways that that would work out in a person's life who really doesn't humble himself. First of all, there comes dishonor with pride, and then, obviously, the inevitable fall that the Scripture we just read talks about. But also, Mike, there's judgment and destruction in the end.
4: There are three scriptures in Proverbs. One relates to dishonor, as you just mentioned, when pride comes, then comes dishonor. What are the kinds of ways we
1: see this in a prideful
4: person's life?
1: I guess, Mike, the best example I could give to you is when a new student comes into the program who's usually prideful and doesn't realize really how repulsive he is to those around him because everything revolves around him and all the attention needs to be on him. And he's the one dominating conversations. And what happens is the very opposite of what he's hoping for happens. He's looking for recognition. He's looking for others to notice him, but really it brings dishonor to him and nobody wants anything to do with them. Right. A person like this will generally be very competitive with others as well. Yeah, absolutely, because they're always concerned about pushing themselves forward, even at the expense of others. Mm. I think of two verses here, Jeff. Proverbs twenty eight twenty five says an arrogant
4: man stirs up strife. In Proverbs thirteen ten, through presumption comes nothing but strife. I'll say it. It's my testimony. I was one of those men that you described when I came into the living program. <laughs> and I remember my counselor consistently had to tell me, Mike, it's not all about you. You don't have to come into the room and make it all about you. And it's just true. And and when you're in that, as you mentioned, you often don't see it and
1: you don't see the response that you're really getting from people. That's true, Mike. And really, it does lead to the second point that inevitably there's going to be a fall yeah, Proverbs 16, 18 says a haughty spirit goes before a fall. That's true, Mike. And I think in scripture, one of the best examples of that is King David. It really is yeah. a picture of someone who was humble at one time, whose inside world was full of God and putting his will first, but who slowly rose up, became prideful, things began revolving around him, and ultimately he was setting himself up yeah. for a fall. Yeah.
4: And you know, you might look at that and say, Well, David was a man after God's own heart, the Scripture says. And so, you know, why is God allowing this to happen? But God allows us to fall in those situations because he loves us.
1: Yeah, Mike, and it really is a mercy. I know in my own life, it's hard sometimes to recognize when pride is rearing its ugly head. It's blinding, isn't it? It is. And I don't necessarily have to fall into horrible sin, but I might experience a failure or blow up at somebody and for me it's a warning sign that i'm headed down that road Yeah, we even read jeff in hebrews chapter 12 for
4: whom the lord loves he reproves even a father the son in whom he delights and so one of the things that i learned in my own fall was that if you're in sin if you're in rebellion if you're in pride and you're not experiencing the chastisement of the lord you may very well want to ask yourself, do I even belong to him? Because he really does allow the circumstances of pride to enter into
1: our lives so that we can see
4: what we're blind to seeing,
1: which often is our pride. That is so true, Mike. And I'm thankful in my own life that God has chastened me many times because mm-hmm. I know how easy it is for me to rise up in pride. But like you said, Mike, the best thing we can do when that happens is repent. That's the beautiful thing about what happened to David. He really repented. He really humbled himself. He didn't head down that third aspect of judgment and destruction. He avoided that. Yet, I think about King Saul, who also rose up in pride. God came to him through the prophet Samuel and was trying to help him, but he just would not humble himself. And he entered into what we can see as the last aspect we're talking about here, judgment and destruction.
4: You know, Jeff, we did say, and Scripture certainly confirms, that God allows chastisement into our lives because he loves us. But there is also a warning in Scripture, and that is not to disdain the mercy of God not to trample the mercy of God. And there is a point, and we never know where it is in an individual's life, but there is a point that God comes to where destruction is the inevitable end of ignoring God's trying to get a hold of us through the consequences of pride in our lives.
1: It's so true, Mike. It does remind me of Proverbs 29.1. Where Solomon said, A man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. And, you know, when I read that, what I see is God constantly reaching out through situations, through circumstances, through our failures, trying really just to draw us to himself if we would just humble ourselves. And even the unsaved, you know, God is constantly reaching out, reaching out. But if we just resist the truth, resist the truth, just refuse to humble ourselves and see that we are prideful, that we're self-willed, that we're in rebellion against God, really in the end there's only one thing left, which is judgment and destruction. That's why it's so important, especially for a Christian, to respond when God is dealing with you and God is showing you maybe areas in your life that you need to repent of.
4: And not to expect, oh, well, God will give me another chance. We just really never know.
1: No, we don't, Mike, and we don't want to play Russian roulette with right. our eternity. Right.
4: Well, the scripture tells us, Jeff, that God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. A individual who may be listening you used the word earlier, repentance, Someone may be listening that doesn't really understand what that means. If they're listening and they know that God has his finger on pride in their lives, what is God really asking them to do?
1: I know, Mike, in my own life, all he asks us is to embrace the light when it comes. You know, the Bible talks about he who covers his sin will not prosper. And we tend to look at that verse and we think of it as, oh, yeah, I need to confess my sin to others and I can't hide things. But really what that scripture is talking about is when I minimize and I try to cover it in those ways, or I blame shift and really don't take responsibility for what God is showing me in my heart. That's really the inference in that scripture. So what I would say is, if you're seeing that, if God is showing you things through your circumstances or situation, don't minimize it. That's what King Saul did. He Mm -hmm. blame shifted. He covered his sin, even with his good deeds. Well, look at the other things in my life I'm doing here, but it didn't take away what God was trying to show him in his heart. Mm -hmm.
4: And an example of the opposite of that, we mentioned David, if someone wants to see it, go and read Psalm 51 and see an example of what it really means to be honest about what God is showing you.
1: Yeah, and David prayed, God, you desire truth in the inward part, and I would just encourage anyone out there listening, just let the truth of God be in your inner part. Don't look to protect yourself. Don't look to cover things when God is mercifully trying to expose and to draw you really to himself. Yes, amen. Jeff Cologne, thank you so much
4: for
0: talking to us today about the destructive nature of pride. Thanks, Mike. We're going to finish off today's show with a testimony. When Stephen was in our residential program, he finally dealt with the root of his sin and he started to experience wonderful freedom. My entire life, for 45 years,
5: everywhere I have lived, I have been active in church. At seven years old, I prayed to receive Christ, basing the security of my eternity on that prayer for salvation in 1982. I was active in my youth group, read the entire Bible twice the New Testament five times, and served on 20 international mission trips on five continents. To add to all of my self-righteousness that I just knew God was proud of, I proudly didn't cuss, I've never done drugs, I've never had a drop of alcohol in my entire life, even boastful, I've never even had a cup of coffee because I thought I was spiritual enough to not need chemical assistance to get through life. In my mind, I thought I was a very strong Christian living for the Lord. Additionally, my pride grew to enormous levels because I was successful in man's eyes. However, last April, my kingdom that I had built brick by brick was utterly destroyed by a nuclear bomb of God's mercy when the Lord began a four-day process of exposing my hidden sexual sin. The conviction finally became overwhelming as he used my teenage son to look me straight in the eyes to convince me to come fully clean. So I came into the light with my wife, shattering her heart into a million pieces. I told her of my years of viewing pornography during her 23-year marriage a sexual relationship with a co-worker in 2009, and years of sexual messaging with numerous women. That night, hearing the gut-wrenching wailing from my wife and children, whose entire world had been nuclear-bombed even worse than mine because of my sin, the Lord began a work in my life to show me who I truly was, here at PLM, as the humbling process continued, my eyes were open to the fact that I was an extremely selfish person, with a desperate need for approval from others, an obsessive desire to control every aspect of my life, an unhealthy need for perfection, crippled by worry and anxiety. I came to the reality that regardless of everything I intellectually knew about Jesus, His truth had never penetrated my own callous, prideful, sinful heart. And I needed continued humbling to see him for who he truly is. I want to thank my counselor, Steve Martin, for patiently and unwaveringly pointing me to Jesus every step of my journey at PLM. I also want to thank my wife, Kelly, who is here tonight, who has endured enormous mental and emotional anguish being married to me, and that was even before my sexual sin was exposed in April. As she dealt with my controlling nature, selfishness, always being right attitude, anger, manipulative and condescending communication, and much more for 23 years. Yet in her Christ-like love for me, she earnestly prayed for me daily and has mercifully forgiven me of all my sin against her. (laughs) Kelly, I love you forever. Most importantly, I am eternally grateful to Jesus Christ, the one who I can now truly say is my Savior and my Lord. You have cleansed me of all my sins by your precious blood. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see.
0: So, I'm sure that you've heard a lot today that was interesting and maybe even helpful, but I'm concerned that some people who are listening might miss how incredibly serious this is. The Bible says that God opposes the proud, which means that some of you might really be looking for freedom from sexual sin, but your pride is putting you and God at odds. And if God is opposing you, where are you going to get help? I remember when I was in the residential program, the Lord really took me to task on my pride, and he's taken me to task on my pride many times over the years. And I've learned that if I'm going to walk with God, I have to be really serious about walking in humility before him. That's the end of our show today. And if there was something that really resonated with you, I would definitely encourage you to go back and listen to our Exposed series. It's a nine-part series looking at Pastor Steve Gallagher's book, I, The Root of Sin Exposed. It's a really thorough look at pride and the self-life. It'll show you how pride manifests itself and also how to truly come out of it. Just look for episodes 421 through 430. at Pure